Wow, yeah. Part two, know your stuff. Turn to person next to you and say, know your stuff. Amen. Did you guys, uh, were you sort of like uh, intrigued by last week? Were you touched by last week? Were you encouraged by last week? Amen. It's so important, folks, that we, we know our stuff. We know our rights. Amen. So this series is all about, you know, you've got to know the word, but you also got to know your rights as a citizen. Amen. You have to do that. Why? Because God is the one who set up government. We showed you that last week. In the weeks to come, we'll put up a little Venn diagram and we'll show you how the three different governments, uh, um, how they interact with each other. But it's so important that we know these things so that we don't get duped. Amen? Do you know that the church is still running around playing church and the government is making big moves? Governments around the world. Do you know that you will always be seen as a Christian? You will always be seen as a conspiracy theorist. You have no option. It's okay. But why do I say that? Because we have a Bible that we believe in, and the Bible clearly tells us that there is a plan by an evil, wicked rulership who is to come make a one-world government, a one-world police force, a one-world bank, a one-world control system that will persecute those who believe. Amen? Amen? Anyone read that before? Have you? So I'm sorry to say, if you mouth that out into the real world, into this, this world, you will be seen as cuckoos. You will be seen as a conspiracy theorist. You will be seen as a cynic. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, but you're not a cynic, brother. And you're not a conspiracy theorist. You are a wide-awake believer who knows their righteousness. Amen. God is so good. God is so good. He has set this up. Thanks, Harris. He has set this up for us from day one. If we can just pay attention and get in time with him. Do you know that the church is still playing with baby stuff? Hebrews, it tells us, man, move on from the elementary principles of Christ. Move on from all these things where you're constantly repenting, repenting, repenting of your sin. Walk in who you are. Oh, you know what? You understand what I'm saying? That's why the church was caught flat-footed when COVID and all its stuff came. Because we're so occupied with sin. We're so occupied with all our shame. We're so occupied with all these things. And we're not walking in faith in our new identity in Christ. The church is so caught up in trying to make itself good. You can't. You're not called to be good. You're called to be a believer. You're called to be somebody of faith, somebody of courage. Are you with me? Man, the system has got us. We're playing around. Every week we're getting reborn. Man, how many times have you seen people come up for a salvation call, but it's like the fourth time in one month? I want to ask you a question. How does a person like that walk in confidence out there? In anything. We know how the hierarchy of the heart works. It's Christ is our identity. Then we get our self-image. And from our self-image, we get our self-worth. And when we have our self-worth tied up in Christ and not in ourselves, we have the confidence to do what we need to do. Amen? But we're playing games, guys. We're playing church. Did he die for your sin or didn't he? Okay, so then why are we disqualified as the body? I'm going to go do a deep dive. I want to know when this all changed because somewhere in history, the church started shutting its mouth to the government. Somewhere along the line in history, the church became so bent on being good and being Mr. Nascar that they lost all their courage. And they thought Christianity is about being politically correct. Christianity has got nothing to do with being politically correct. Amen? Nothing. Do you know that the Bible calls you to be rebellious at times? Sure, what a statement, Pastor Didi. Are you crazy? <laughs> a 
I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. We spoke about the problem of Romans 13 because all these absolutists during COVID <clears throat> challenged us. And I'm not, I'm not shy to say it. This is the only church I know online in this country that stood against all of those things. I know it. We saw it. My wife had people coming into her, into her salon. And you know the salon is like a counseling chair, you know. As soon as the head hits the thing, they tell you about everything. And just down the road here, <clears throat> a lady attends a church. We're not, gonna, we're not here to come against our brothers and sisters. We love our brothers and sisters. We got to encourage them to stand. Amen? For the truth that they say they believe in. And the lady laid down and she said, <clears throat> our pastor told us, he told the whole church that everybody needs to go and get the jibby jab so that we can all come back to church on Sunday or uh, this month. That same woman has lost people in her family because of it. It's like playing Russian roulette. You don't know how that thing's going to affect your body. You don't know. Some people, it won't affect them. Some people, it will. Are you with me? But what kind of leader goes and encourages people to go against their own conscience so that they can keep the church doors open? This thing's not the church. We could have met outside under the trees and worshipped without any music. Come on, man. I mean, we don't, it's not about keeping the institution alive. It's about keeping the body alive. Amen? That's what it's all about. <clears throat> we saw the videos coming in hard and fast. All the pastors getting up and saying, guys, 70% of the church has been vaccinated. Everybody, you can come back. And that same Sunday, they preach a message of, you know, if sickness and disease comes near you, you have the faith. The blood of Christ. I'm not talking about people who, who took it. I'm talking about the leadership that had no backbone to stand for the truth. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. Turn to the person next to you and say, come on, man. Know your stuff. So Romans 13 is the big problem because we saw last week... <clears throat> It poses a big problem because Paul the Apostle, he calls us as the church, okay, to come under civil government and to be obedient to civil government. And then he describes that civil government has basically been put there by God to come against the evildoers and protect the innocent. Amen? But the problem is, <clears throat> Paul the Apostle was under Nero. We are under Ramaphosa. Excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat. <laughs> so the problem is, as a church, we're reading it at f on face value, and we're saying, no, we've got to do everything that the government tells us to do, because Romans 13 says so, 2 Peter says so. But we're going to take a little bit of a history tour, a, a, a tour down history lane. Can we do that? So like we said, Ramaphosa is not a king. He is not a... a uh, um, What's the, what, what's the word uh, I'm looking for? He's not an autocratic ruler. He's an elected official. We live in a democracy. We have a constitution. It's not the same thing. And I explained last week, and I'll get into it, but that same Romans 13, it was written in AD 59 by Paul the Apostle. He was under the rule of Nero at that time, and just a little bit of history, Nero became, uh, um, <clears throat> what's the position again? I forgot. Caesar, emperor. He became emperor at the age of 16. It's a crazy story. Go and check out the history, because you know, a little bit of history is good for your future. Eh? So he becomes emperor at 16. His mother, Agrippina, uh, hounds the current Caesar and basically gets him to fall in love with her and marries her, divorces his, other, his current wife and marries Nero's uh, mom, Agrippina. Agrippina then convinces Nero to adopt him fully by name and everything into his uh, uh, um, state or estate or whatever, under his bloodline or whatever you want to call it, by adoption. He becomes the son of, I can't remember the Caesar's uh, name at the time. And then shortly after that, she poisons him. 
and Nero becomes Caesar. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, <clears throat> he was living in a time of the first five years of Nero. The first five years of Nero in history are known as the golden years. Why? Because Nero was the first uh, emperor that literally lowered taxes. He was the first emperor that would allow slaves, which were those who were by society not allowed to do the things that everybody else could do, namely the Jews. He would allow everybody to bring charges against their masters. Are you with me? It was known as the five golden years of Nero. But in AD 60, something goes wrong with Nero, and he tries to kill Agrippina three times. First, he tries to, uh, I think it's poison her. The second time, he tries to build, no, sorry, a ceiling. He, he rigs a ceiling so that the ceiling can fall on his mother while she's sleeping. Crazy stuff they went through. But anyway, then he builds a boat, and hopefully his mother will drown because the boat is designed to sink on command. It does. She's a great swimmer. She makes it to the shore, and uh, she survives. So eventually, you know what he does? He just, he just decides to stab her to death. He stabs her to death. AD 60, everything goes wrong. The wheels fall off. Nero becomes from the greatest emperor, the kindest emperor, to one of the cruelest rulers in human history. It says that he goes crazy because of the guilt and shame of his mother's death, of his murder, his murderous act. And what happens is he becomes so inward, so full of guilt and shame, that he becomes utterly cruel. And what does he do? I mean, he starts doing everything to the opposite of his original uh, laws. And eventually he gets to this place and this time where he says, listen, you know what I've got to do? I've got to build myself a, a bigger palace, an opulent palace, something that's more worthy of the great emperor that I am. And what he decides to do is he needs land. The current land that he has is not big enough. So what does he do? He burns down 14 of the 17 districts of Rome. He sets it on fire. Sound familiar? Something's happening in Hawaii, uh, Maui at the moment. Do you know why he does it? He sets... 14 districts on fire for six days. It's called the six-day fire. And what does he do? He claims the land after the, the, the flames have calmed down. And he begins to build his new palace. This palace is so big, it's so grand, it has gold ceilings, pure gold ceilings throughout the palace. He builds a lake that is so big that it could actually transport big boats in the backyard. He has the first mechanical dance floor because he was a bit of a hop and pop dude, you know, hip hop oak. And what happens is he loved dancing, so he built the first mechanical rotating dance floor for entertainment. But guess what? The Romans did not like this. Thousands lost their homes, hundreds died, thousands died. Their great city was almost destroyed because of one man's lust for power and stuff. And guess what he does? After Paul wrote that, he comes up with a plan to divert, to divert all the blame on himself. And he goes, wait, hold on. There's a group of people called Christians. And these Christians, they counterculture people. They come against our rule. They come against our gods. They don't want to worship our gods. They have their own way of living. They don't want to come under Roman rule. They are always opening their mouths about how great their God is. How easy would it be if I accuse them to be terrorists. And that's what he does. He accuses the Christian church in Rome at that time with Paul and Peter, and he declares that they are terrorists and they are to blame for the six-day fire. Are you telling me that God wants us to submit to an evil king like that? We can. I mean, the church is built on the blood of the martyrs. But that doesn't mean that that's what God has called us to do, all just die for evil rulers. No. God put civil authority there so that he could bring justice, punish the evil, and reward the innocent, protect the innocent. Amen? What was God's original plan? When this place was in chaos, God said, I'm going to 
find myself a people. Through Abraham, I will establish my people. I will be their God. They will be my people. And they will come under my statutes. And I will bless them. And the entire world will grow in jealousy because they'll know that I am the one true God. How did he bless them? By giving them the Ten Commandments. What's the Ten Commandments? Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. Don't commit adultery. The purpose of that was to bring a chaotic, barbaric place under law and order. Amen? So that we could build a community, so that we could actually get up in the morning and, and know that there's a civil authority that is protecting me so I can go out, I can start my business, I can go and do my work without any problems. If someone tries to rob me, there is a justice system. There are police to protect me. Are you with me? It's all established on the laws of God. Amen? They didn't make this up. It comes from the good book. It comes from the Bible. So what he does is he eventually destroys every Christian this is how cruel he gets. He goes so crazy that he puts animal skins on all of them, brings them in for dinner at the palace, and he sets wild dogs on them and tears them limb to limb as a dinner party entertainment. He douses them with hot tar, and he lights up the streets by putting them on fire. And then he calls Peter and Paul. I, I, you know, when I went over the story again, I actually started crying for Paul because, man, I, I just love Paul. So amazing. He was the one chosen for the Gentiles. Amen? And he did what he did for us. I mean, doesn't, he's nowhere near Christ, but you understand. Give the men credit where it's due. Amen? He even had to stand up against the actual disciples who said, no, it's not for the Gentiles. Paul said, you don't know what you're talking about. God told me it's for the Gentiles. Amen? And he takes them, and because they're leaders, I presume, because they're the leaders of these terrorists, he mimics the death of Christ and he crucifies. And Peter turns around and says, listen, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord and Savior. Crucify me upside down. But that's the demise of two of the greatest leaders of the church. Are you telling me there was God's will? I mean, that guy, he just decided he needed a cover-up story, and he killed two of the greatest Christians that ever lived just to cover his own butt. Amen? We've got to know, guys. We've got to know, well, how does this thing work? Anyway, we're going <clears> to... We're going to go into three things over the next couple of weeks because we need to know what the Bible says about this. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, we need to know. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a bit of a journey and we're going to look at what is godly authority supposed to look like? Because let me tell you something, we've gotten so bad. Our standard of authority and rulership and majesty and kingship has gotten so bad that as South Africans, we'll sit and we'll talk to each other and we'll go, oh, you know what, uh, uh, I think Ramaphosa is better than Zuma. Some people, I've heard them at the bras, they say, hey, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. What? That's where our standard has gone as the church. These are Christians. Men. God said, elect for yourself good government, godly government, authority that will look after you, authority that wants to do good for you. Amen? So let's have a, a look at what godly government is supposed to look like. Can we do that? I know this is not the most exciting topic, but it's the most important one at this time. But we need to go deep into the Bible. We know our righteousness. If you've been in this church and you don't know your righteousness, we preach righteousness back to front, inside out, top down, bottom up. You got to know who you are by now in Jesus. Amen? So let's take a, look, a quick look at what godly government is supposed to look like according to the scriptures. Now remember, as Christians, we're not anarchists. Okay? We are not anarchists at all. We don't hate civil government. We just for good civil government, we, for godly civil government. Amen? There's a difference. You get these people that... They, they're just totally lawless, 
and they hate government at all costs. They're cynical about government, and they just want lawlessness. That's not the church. That's not who we are. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are not an anarchist. So let's have a look at this, 2 Samuel 23, 3 to 4. You don't have to go to it. We'll just, uh, if the guys can put it up there, we'll go to them on the screen, and then you guys just take the references down, and you can go study it out at home. So this is what it says. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of the morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness of the rain that brings grass from the earth. Wow. So when we think of civil authority, when we think of government, that's the picture we're supposed to have. When we think of the, our, our government, do you have a bright morning light piercing through the clouds and bringing clarity? <laughs> I mean, when we think of current and past South African rulers, does, does the rulership cut it, guys? Come on. Let's be nice. I'm not going to mention names here this morning, but we're going to be truthful, okay? So a righteous ruler over men must rule in what? Fear of God. Turn to the person next to you say, he must fear God, okay? He must fear God. It's, I mean, if he's not a Christian, we've got a problem. We're still, we're still thinking about, you know, you know, the half of the cabinet is Christian, the other half is uh, a, a communist, and we'll find a nice medium somewhere. You're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. Amen? Are you with me? The fact is we need civil government because not all want to do good and fear God. So we need, we need somebody who fears God and knows God so that government can be a blessing to us. Amen? Proverbs 16, 12. I'm going through this quick because you've got 35 minutes. Are you guys okay? Okay. Proverbs 16, 12. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness. For a throne is established by... Is it up on the script screen? Oh, that's why you can't answer. <laughs> it is established by righteousness. So when, authority, when an authority or ruler wants to do righteous, that's what will establish his throne. The throne is established by righteousness. That's when God bestows majesty <clears throat> and God's people will look unto the ruler with respect and awe. Are you with me? It can only be established through righteousness. How can you expect God's people to look upon a wicked king with respect and awe? Hello? It's not rocket science, guys. Righteous people will be caused by their love for righteousness in their hearts to honor and respect the rule of a righteous king. Hello? If you love what God loves and you hate what God hates, when you come into the presence of an evil king or ruler, you will respect the office, but you will not respect the officer. Amen? You respect the office that God has set up to look after you and bring justice and righteousness to the land, but you are not expected to respect the evil man occupying the office. And in a constitutional democracy, you have the right to remove him from that office. Hello? Hello? Are you with me, folks? Turn to the person next to you and say, stay awake. If you come into the presence of a good, righteous ruler, even if you don't like his style, even if you don't like his style, but the fact that he brings justice and rule of law, you will, as a righteous man, pray for him. You will. Why wouldn't you? Because you can see the fruit. Amen? You can see the fruit. You will pray what? You'll pray that he becomes more established in his office. You'll pray that he lives longer. And you'll pray that he'll get people around him that will carry the same heart as him. Amen? God will bless him physically, financially, spiritually. You will pray all those things over that man. 
because the throne is established by righteousness. Chronicles, I think it's First Chronicles 29-25, I'm not too sure I've, I've left out the, the uh, reference completely. It says here, and the Lord magnified Solomon. You guys remember David's father, Solomon? And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been seen on any king before in Israel. Amen? We can, call, we can all say, but Solomon is just a man like you and I. He puts on his pants one leg at a time. That's fine. That's true. But what the scripture says is when a king rules in righteousness and with the fear of God, God himself will bestow upon him royal majesty. Do we see that in today's world? Do you see royal rulership? Do you see majesty? No. There's no light with these guys. Doesn't mean we hate them, but we're calling it out for what it is. Amen? God himself puts on that ruler royal majesty. Amen. The law of God is the soul of a good ruler. The law of God is the soul of a good ruler. Now, how many of you guys remember? Uh, I think I should jump down. Okay, I'll go there now. But you guys know who Jethro is in the Bible. So Jethro comes back into the camp where Moses is, and he, he actually sees Moses working from day till night, morning and evening, and he's disputing cases. He is, you know, civil law. He is, everyone's coming to him with all their problems, and he is seeking God, and he is he's settling cases amongst the people all day and all night. And Jethro says to him, listen here, you can't do this. He says, it's too much. You're going to burn yourself out, and you're going to damage the people. We can see that in Exodus 18.21. Moreover, you shall select. This is what Jethro says to Moses. He says, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God. That was the first thing. For people to help Moses settle the cases amongst each other as a civil government, he had to choose them like this. Number one, they had to fear God. Say, fear God. Okay, number two, there had to be men who loved truth, okay? And number three, there had to be people or men who hated covetousness, covetousness, and placed such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. So biblically, to be a ruler of ten, you need to be a man who fears God, you're already living for the truth. You're not just confess the truth. The truth is already established in you as a man. It's part of your character. The love for the truth. Amen? And then lastly, you need to hate covetousness as a man of God, as a leader of God's people. Now, we very well know that the governments around the world today do not hate covetousness. Hello? What is covetousness? An insatiable desire for worldly gain. Do we see governments around the world that hate covetousness? <laughs> you see, the first two criteria that you have to be someone who fears God and somebody who loves truth, they could both easily be compromised when the heart loves the things of the world. We've seen that today. Almost every official around the world is bought and paid for. Amen? Hello? Big corporates run the world. When they want to bring in a law that suits their product or suits their bottom line, what they do is they go and mingle in with the governments, they pay off the correct people in the correct office, and guess what? The next moment, you have to take an injection from a big corporate company that hasn't even put a list of side effects on its pamphlet. You are not allowed to walk outside without a mask on. How many billions of masks were sold? Do you know that they couldn't even keep up? Uh, somebody said it was some ridiculous amount of millions per minute of masks that were being sold. Okay? 
So the, the, the love of the things of the world will compromise the fear of God and it will compromise the love of the truth. We can clearly say that our governments today do not fit this criteria. Amen? Hello, is anybody out there? They have been compromised by covetousness. They are takers, they're not givers. They takers. Amen. Aish, guys, there's going to be the bri of all bras. And these guys are personally invited. That's what me and, me and uh, Greg surmised the other day on the phone. It's going to be one big briar. It's so big, it's a lake of fire. And every single one of them are invited by God, personally. Sure. You know where it gets sad, guys? Because this is the criteria for godly leadership, not even for government leadership. Obviously, it's secondary, and they should be getting their standard from us as men and women of God. Amen? Because we are based on the truth. We live in the truth. We love the truth. We fear God. But today, I want to ask you, so as a Christian, how's your relationship with things of the world? How's your relationship with the lusts of worldly things? Has it made you compromise? Amen? Come on. Today, church leadership get up and they preach for 45 minutes how big their houses are. Not how big their God is. I saw a man, you know, Pastor Tasso actually got me to, <laughs> Tasso phoned me one day. He was so cross. I thought he was going to go and burn down churches. I had to calm him down. He's like, Dids! I just saw this guy. He was walking through his, uh, and I'm not going to mention names, but he was walking through this house of his. He's, he's bragging about how it's the biggest house in, in that whole county, and he was showing them how expensive the staircase, and the staircase comes right out of a movie. He copied it out of one of the most famous old-time movies, and it cost him millions just to get that staircase. And this guy was just like, look at my staircase. Any staircase that you should be concerned about is the one that goes to heaven, my brother. Amen? Deuteronomy 17, verse 8. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it. This is any king. He shall sit on the throne with the law of God before his face and he shall write it out every day as humility unto God. That's fear for God. Okay? Now listen to what a king is supposed to look like. And it shall be with him the law and he shall read it therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren. That he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children and the midst of Israel. Humility is a true sign of a king. Bible says that his heart is not allowed to be lifted up higher than his brethren. Do we see that today? Come on. That's for the rulers. What about us? What do we see in scripture for those who are under authority? That's what the scriptures say of what a king should look like. Have I, have I made my case clear? This is from the scriptures. Do they live up to the scriptures? When it comes to a point where authority tells us to violate our own conscience, like Nebuchadnezzar, he did it. What did the three young Hebrew boys say to him? They said in, in Hebrew, Futsak. They said, no, we won't. Somebody, told, a black buddy of mine told me a joke one day. He said, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. <laughs> I think it was Linda, I can't remember. I said, he must have been a bad Negro, brother, because he told the king. Huh? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, 
said no. They refused to worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And what happened to them? Man, talk about going to the fire to get a promotion. The Bible says they were literally, the furnace was turned up times seven. The guys that tied them up, picked them up and took them to the fire, got burnt to death. But these three guys, they were dancing in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar stood up and he saw a fourth person walking around in the furnace. And his heart dropped. And he knew, you know that video, at this time he knew. I won't say that. Some crazy stuff on the internet. Eh? And guess what? He saw the fourth and he knew it was God with them. And he called them out immediately. Come out of the fire, you three, come out. And he got on his knees and he, and he promoted them to leaders in the country. Because they would not go along to get along. Christians don't go along to get along. We're the trailblazers. We make the path straight because of the righteous ruler that we fear. Amen? What about Peter? I mean, Peter was literally broken out of jail by God. <laughs> don't you remember it in Acts? Huh? I mean, he was in the prison, he was sleeping, and the Bible says that the angel of the Lord struck him. And he said he woke up and he followed the angel, the chains fell off his feet, and he walked right out of the prison. Got a God-ordained prison break. <laughs> and you want to tell me that I must just do whatever they tell me to do? Man, even God broke him out of jail. Amen. Now, I mean, Paul feared the Lord, and Paul, I mean, he was scared of nothing. But there was a time, and Paul, and Paul himself said, submit to the government, right? Romans 13. But there was a time when his chormies lowered him down in a basket, secretly, when nobody could see him, and he was lowered down in a basket, and he escaped. Was he doing what everyone told him to do? Hello? Hello? Are you too scared to say yes? I'm not going to ask you to go lower each other down in baskets and stuff. I'm just going to ask you to stand for the truth. Amen? Come on. The story that gets to me the most is King David. I mean, King David is labeled as a rebellious man. He, he gets sentenced by Saul that he should die. And on the way back from, from victory against, I can't remember which nations, he, uh, Saul, the king, hears that David is in a certain area and he goes there looking for him. 3,000 men looking for David. But unbeknown to him, David and his men, the greatest warriors of Israel, are hiding in the same cave that Saul decides to go and have a, a, a relief, you know, go relieve himself. A toilet break. So he goes into the cave to relieve himself and all of David's men who are so angry because these guys have been on the run for how long? Who knows? Living in the forest, eating wild berries and killing food day by day, going without food for days. And what do they do? They say, uh, they say, man of God, now's your chance. Kill the king. You've got him. He's in the best possible situation here. You've got him with his pants down, literally. And what does David do? David sneaks up behind him and cuts a piece of his robe, the king's robe. Paul does his business, gets up and starts walking out. And David follows him and he calls out to him. He says, oh, father, because of the respect he has for him. He says, look, your life was in my hands by the will of God today. But I said in my heart, I will not come against the anointed of God because God put you in that place. And Saul turns around and he knows in that moment that he's lost the kingdom. And he says, oh, David, my son. He gets on his knees and he says, today I realize that you are the true king of Israel. Amen? Was David doing what 
Saul told him to do. Had he turned himself in? David was running rampant with 600 men, killing and destroying parts of Saul's army for months. I don't even know the, the, the time period. But today, in the political uh, correct church, David would be seen as an evil man. Amen? He's not. He's a man who followed God. If he had turned himself in, do you think he would have made it to king? Saul would have killed him on the spot. Saul was so uh, uh, full of jealousy and hate for King David. Amen? Hello, are you with me, guys? Sometimes civil disobedience is obedience to the Lord. Turn to the person next to you. Say, sometimes civil disobedience is obedience to the Lord. Sometimes you are required by God to disobey ungodly authority. Hello? But when we do it, we don't do it for self-gain or to be a hero. We do it because we love our neighbor. We love our rights. We love the freedoms. We love the law. We fear God, and we want to protect each other. Amen. Are you with me? If we all just sit back and say, no, it's okay if the teacher can come dressed to school in a half-naked uh, uh, bodysuit and do weird and wonderful strip dance moves to the six-year-olds in grade one and read stories to them about how Gary became Gina. If we just sit back and we say nothing and we do nothing and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, guess what? It's your kids. It's your friend's kids. It's your sister and brother's kids that will suffer because you do not Love them enough. You love your standing. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a person. You love your standing more. You love your political correctness. You love looking like the good guy. Amen? Cease. Poo. That's not godliness. What did we say last week? Yes, I almost spat uh, Google. Oh, googly down there. Got to do that with less uh, emphasis next time. Are you with me? Are you with me? Do we have true men and women of God sitting in this meeting this morning? Are you going to stand for the truth? Come on. All we said, we said last week, we said, all that evil needs to succeed is for good men to do nothing. Why are you not on discipleship school? I'm not using this to punt discipleship school. Come on. But you should be on discipleship school because it's a priority because you are the government of God in this place. You should be learning what's righteousness in a king and what's righteousness in a, in a, sub, a subject to the civil authority. You should be knowing your righteousness in Christ. You should be putting your front foot forward, your gloves on, and fighting for the truth. Do what you need to do so that you know what you need to know. Turn to a person next to you and say, know your stuff. And in the words of Harris, do your things. <laughs> know your stuff and do the things. What things? The things the word tells, tells you to do. Are you with me? I'm going to play you a short video. Mark sent it to me during the week. But this is what I want to show you. I mean, this is such, <laughs> everything you just heard about righteous government and what they're supposed to look like and this is so blatant, you guys are going to actually, I don't know, you might feel sick. Because this is what the government looks like today. So what we've taken is it's a little, it's a little piece out of um, a review of New Zealand and what the government has said in New Zealand. So during, <laughs> during COVID, they told everyone they'll lose their jobs if they don't take the vaccine and wear masks and all. Remember that? Now the very... Uh, the guy that was in charge of that under Jacinda Ardern, the, who was the prime minister at the time, who has since resigned, her right-hand man, he was the one that went around the country and he told everybody what the consequences were if they did not do what they had to do. Today, he blatantly denies he said it. But we got him on video. Playback that guilt. <laughs> on the Yesterday tape. on the vaccine and the mandate, do you regret that? 
Sorry, what, which comments are you talking about? Sorry, sorry, my apologies. On Sunday, you made the comment about the uh, the vaccine mandate. Ultimately, it was not mandated. Vaccines were not mandated. You stand by that? There was no compulsory vaccination. That is not the word that I used. I said nobody was forced to be vaccinated. There was no compulsory vaccination. People made their own choices, quote unquote. There was no, there was no compulsory vaccination. People made their own choices. That is correct, Mike. There were some the people needed to be vaccinated to do some jobs, but no one was made to be vaccinated. So you no would stand. You would stand. Oh, it's all I'm asking for the record. Will. You would stand by. So the person, for example, who made the choice not to get vaccinated lost their business and laid people off. That's on them, not you. Well, they made a choice. Appreciate your time very much. This piece by Coronavirus Plushy, one of our best editors in the honesty space, I call it, the freedom space, the truth-telling space in New Zealand media. This piece is revelatory as well. In terms of the vaccine mandates, I acknowledge that it was a challenging time for people, but they made, ultimately made their own choices. There was, no, there was no compulsory vaccination. People made their own choices. The government is planning to require every single teacher at every level and all support staff who work with children to be vaccinated. There was no compulsory vaccination. News Hub can reveal the mandate Chris Hipkins is taking to Cabinet on Monday is a mighty big stick. Every educator who works with a child will have to be vaccinated. People made their own choices. I can now confirm that we'll be extending this requirement to large parts of our health and education workforces as well. There was no compulsory vaccination. Cabinet's agreed that high-risk workers in, health and in the health and disability sector will need to be fully vaccinated by the 1st of December. People made their own choices. This includes general practitioners, pharmacists, community health nurses, midwives, paramedics, and all healthcare workers in sites where vulnerable patients are treated, including intensive care units. There was no compulsory vaccination. We'll also be including certain non-regulated healthcare workforces, including aged residential care, home and community support services, kaupapa Māori health providers, and non-government organisations that provide health services. People made their own choices. Schools and early learning staff and the support people who work with them, who have contact with children and students, will need to be fully vaccinated by the 1st of January 2022. There was no compulsory vaccination. That includes home-based educators, all those who support people in our schools and early learning services, such as teacher aides, administration and maintenance staff, and contractors. People made their own choices. Secondary schools in Kura will also be required to keep a COVID-19 vaccination register of their students. There was no compulsory vaccination. Students that don't produce evidence of vaccination will be considered unvaccinated. People made their own choices. What will the ramifications be for teachers or those in the health workforce who choose not to be vaccinated? Did it, uh, what happened to the video? Is it stop? Okay. Come on, guys, do I have to say anything more? <laughs> they literally are acting like they never forced anybody. They are liars. Uncle Alan, they are liars. And it's our job to stand up against liars. Amen? And it's my job as a shepherd of you, God's people, to get you ready and on the front foot because the lies seem to be coming around again. And let me tell you something else. The biggest lie is coming in the form of um, green laws. Be careful. They have lied about the world getting hot. 50% of the scientists in the world say it's the biggest lie that we've, it's ever been perpetrated on the people of this planet. They're coming with it. They're going to tell you it's too hot for you to do this and you can't grow tomato in your backyard and you have to eat bugs. You can't have meat because the cows are farting too much. This is what they're saying. I mean, as, long as, as far as I know, cows have farted from the beginning of time. Amen? <laughs> are you with me? This is the big one. The big one is the green laws because once again, it's a virus that you can't see. It's an enemy that you can't pinpoint. And they're coming to tell you that you can't do this and you can't do that because you are an evil person who does not love God's world. The last one they caught you with was, you don't want to take the vaccine because you don't love your granny. You don't want to take the vaccine because you don't love your fellow workers at work. Now they're going to tell you, sacrifice yourself for the good of the world.
There are protesters around the world that are already dousing themselves with red paint, laying in the streets in the hundreds, saying that they're willing to sacrifice themselves and kill and die and become a, 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 um, a, a number, what a statistic, to keep the world going. You sad little man. We can. You want to make less people? Let's start with you, idiots. I don't know about you. You're purposeless. You've got nothing. You're less than a cow. You're less than a bull. You're less than a dog. You're less than a flower. But I know on God's apex of life, I'm on the top of the food chain just underneath the king of kings. And I have a value because I have the image of God in me, on me. That's who I am. I've got a purpose in this place. Amen? I've got a purpose in this place. It's not my job to make sure the plants survive. That's his job. My job is to rule and live and walk in the image of righteousness. Amen? That's our duty. So do the things, guys. Amen? You know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Fair enough. If you look at the coin, whose face is on there? Caesar's face. Hello? I mean, if, if he's able to get his face on there, surely he deserves it. Give it him. But I can tell you one thing. The image on me is the face of Jesus. My body doesn't belong to anyone except Christ. It's been bought and paid for. I'm not even allowed to just eat anything I want to. Because it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to someone else. Hello? I've got to be a good steward of this thing. If you believe in this word and you believe in righteous rulership, and you believe you're a part of it, I want you to stand up and give God a big round of applause this morning. Come on. Come on. May the righteous king rule in your heart, whether you're alive, whether you're yeah, whether you're in heaven. But you will stand before God as a righteous man and woman of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on. One more shout of praise. Who's the king? Jesus. Jesus. Have an amazing Sunday, family. Enjoy the week and get on to discipleship school and know your stuff. Amen? Amen. Amen.